This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. I hope you had a great uh, weekend and a great start to your week. And today we're excited to welcome Dean Brent Bradley, sorry, Brent Bradley to the show to talk about law school admissions. And, and good morning, Dean Bradley. Uh, which please tell us about your background and how you became interested in legal education and admissions. Sure. Good morning. Thank you for having me, Richard and Liz. I'm excited to be here. Um, I am an alum of this law school. I graduated from law school in um, 2010, and I was sort of what you what we call a, a, a non-traditional student. I had been out of undergrad for a few years practicing social work and came back to law school and just really loved um, the academic environment. I really loved just sort of the rhythm of the academic calendar um, and being um, around students and among students. So I really enjoyed my time in law school and practiced law for a few years in Birmingham. And then an opportunity became available at the law school. Um, and I was really excited to get back. And um, when I when I started back here, um, a part of my role, um, Richard, you may, may remember, you helped me get here, but I I, um, I was the pre-law advisor for all of the undergraduate students here at the University of Mississippi. So um, students from every major um, just across the university um, trying to decide whether they wanted to go to law school and, and how to get there. And I just really enjoyed that interaction with students and that, that led me to admissions um, and being in the office here. So um, that's how I got here and it's it's been eight years and I can't believe it that I've been here with the, the law school. Well, in your office, you know, as the assistant dean for admissions and scholarships, your office is often the first place, the first face that people will see in the law school. And, and so, you know, we're so lucky to have you here today to talk about this process. And let's start by saying, if I want to be a lawyer, do I even have to go to law school? By and large, yes. Um, the the vast, you know, ninety nine percent of the time, that is um, the avenue that you have to take. Um, so, sort of the the way that the the path looks um, for most people is that you uh, finish high school and then you go to undergrad, um, wherever you might 
you know, wherever you want to go. Some students start at community college and then transition to a, a four-year college. And you finish undergrad majoring in anything that you want to major in. There are no prerequisites for law school. So I think we had like 67 different majors represented in this first-year class. And we like that. We like lots of different interests coming in. Um, and then um, you come to law school, and that's a, that's a three-year program, um, typically. And that is, that is the path for most. Now, you know, uh, I um, am not a fan of the Kardashians, but my, my wife and at least two of my daughters are, and so I, I am aware of them. And I know that Kim Kardashian is not in law school, but she's hoping to be a lawyer in California by studying with an attorney and then she has to take a had to take a baby bar kind of an interim step can anybody do the same thing in mississippi or uh, do you have to go to law school to be a mississippi lawyer um i can't believe you're not a fan of the kardashian <laughs> they've got a new i think they've got a new show going on hulu right now um so there are limited there's a limited number of states where you can like you were saying practice um and study under the supervision of a licensed attorney um and you have to do that for a significant period of time and you know take the baby bar and then the 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 actual bar um i looked this up this morning actually i think there are only four states um where you can it's um it used to it's called reading the law um and california is one of those states so that's how she's doing this um and virginia vermont and washington are the others so not an option in mississippi um you're gonna have to do the law school route and take the bar this morning we're talking about law schools you can send us your questions to our email address legalterms at mpbonline.org our guest is Dean Bett Bradley from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Dean Bradley, I you know always find it interesting. I myself am a uh, what a change of life career person, and it's interesting to hear about untraditional students. Off the top of your head, do you know about how many students are you know come into the law school at twenty two versus? 32, 42, 52? Oh, I made her think. <laughs> well, I don't want to give you a, a, a number because it's not going to, I can't think of one off the top a of my great, head. A great majority are right out of our, our younger students? No, no, definitely not. Um, our average age is about 24, 25. So we do have a fair amount of students who, you know, come straight from undergrad. We also have a good number of students who work for a couple of years and then come to law school. And then we do have students who, I mean, this is a second career, so in their 40s, 50s, 60s. Um, so, I mean, the there, and, you know, the thing that I really 
love about the law school community is once you're here, you're just a law student. <laughs> like you're all in it together. Age doesn't really matter anymore. You are all going through this thing together. Um, so it's just, it's not something that's, um, it's common enough that it, it, it you know, that it is just a part of the community. Um, so, so yeah, students from all walks of life, all ages, many different backgrounds. It's so fascinating. I actually, uh, at a previous law school, had a student who had been a nurse during the Vietnam era. So she was already in her 70s when she came to law school. And when she graduated, one of her uh, fellow students said, um, what are you going to do now? And she said, I'm going to go practice law. You know, I mean, that was what she was going to do. So I, I, that was the oldest student that I was aware of. But yeah, they, it, it's great. It, it adds to the community. And we're really lucky to have a lot of different students with a lot of different backgrounds. And you mentioned all the different majors, too. Do you know, um, I, I, I hate to put you on the spot again, but I know, you know, and it varies from year to year, how many different states and how many different uh, universities are represented in, in a typical class. So this year's class, the, the class that just finished their first year, um, I think we had 29 different states. Um, and as far as undergrad institutions, it's, that's probably in the 60s to 70s as well, like those majors. Um, you know, a lot of students from Mississippi, but a lot of students from, from all over the country. I've told Professor Gershon this, but I've been to the Grove twice for football games, and the last time we went, there was a couple of boys, stand, boys standing there, and they said, I am so excited to go to a law school that has a Division I football team. So many different reasons on why you might want to go to law school. Yes. Yes, exactly. And, and usually I tell um, students who are, you know, from not from Mississippi that if I can get them to come visit and step foot on the campus and just spend some time in Oxford, um, it, it usually seals the deal. It's not a, it's not an, a hard place to spend a little bit of time. Um, and like you said, I mean, you know, for a town the size that it is, there's just a lot going on for a lot of you know a lot of different interests now did you did you mention in generally do you need an undergraduate degree to be admitted to law school generally you do um yes i, I think we're going to talk you know a little bit later about some special programs um where um that might not be the case where you are still finishing up your undergraduate degree as you come into law school um but generally yes you do have to ha have your bachelor's degree um now you know, back to Miss Kardashian, I think in those states where you can read the law, if that might not be, that might not be required, but, but generally, yes. And the thing is most, I think most bars require that by the time you, at least unlike Miss Kardashian, but I mean, uh, if, if by the time you graduate and take the bar, you have to have the undergraduate degree and the law degree. Yes. So, and we'll talk more about some of those programs where maybe you can do them at the same time. But when I, you know, really, a lot of countries, the law degree is an undergrad degree. It's like in Britain, it is an LLB, um, which is a bachelor's of law. And um, and we are one of the few countries more more starting to adopt it that have it as a doctorate level degree. 
um, and uh, and so JD. But um, so um, now you know. You, well, Richard, you, before we move on, let's go ahead and and take our first break. We'd love for you to send us your questions to our email address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're discussing law schools with our guest, Dean Bett Bradley. I'll tell you about Dean Bradley's school and the other option for law school in Mississippi next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4-CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is In Legal Terms. Not everybody has a chance to listen to our whole show live. I can't imagine. But if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show from our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. This morning, we're talking about law schools with our guest, Dean Bett Bradley, from the University of Mississippi School of Law, whose website is law.olemiss.edu. But if you would rather attend law school at the state's capital, you might enjoy learning about Mississippi Mississippi College School of Law, or Mississippi School of Law. Anyway, their website is law.mc.edu. We had a caller call in who couldn't stay on the line. They had a question. Uh, I guess, uh, Professor Gershon, you have multi-state experience, or uh, Dean Bradley probably knows this also. How many law schools do most states have? Are there fewer than before? Well, I'll start a little bit. I mean, there are fewer. Uh, some closed because there was a decline in applications for a little bit, you know, after the financial crisis. And, and 
you know, and I think like every every situation, some of the, a lot of those were standalone independent colleges that that really had a hard time um, staying afloat. I just think that makes legal education stronger because the schools that are still here are the ones that are you know very strong and supported. Um, so I'll, I'll I'll say that part of it. Um, I, and what about I mean we don't really I mean it varies from state to state, right? That I mean how many schools there are in each state. Right. There, I mean, I would say, you know, in most states there are at least two, but it does really vary. I mean, there are many, <laughs> you know, in the north, northeast and, um, you know, there are some states with six, seven, eight. Um, so, um, yeah, that really does vary. Well, we have a call that's waiting. We are going to find out from Robbie what questions Robbie would like to know about law school with our guest, Dean Bett Bradley from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Robbie, what's your co- Robbie? What's your comment or question? Well, it's not about law school. I'm currently living in Cusco, Peru. And a friend of mine was falsely arrested and sentenced to 33 years. He's a Peruvian resident, citizen, and a United States resident. In the event his appeal fails, would anyone know if the Department of State would be willing to review his case and see if the United States government could help him as a resident of the United States? Well, Robbie, that's that one's uh, uh, is out of, off of our topic, and we, we you know, really, if we had a, a, neither one of us, I think, is an immigration lawyer, and you would really need to talk to an immigration lawyer who would who would know those answers, um, that, because oh, that's what it would take. Okay, there are people who Thank specialize so in immigration law, sure. Sorry about that, Robbie, but uh, we uh, hope you could uh, use use the Google, and the world is a small place, and I'm sure you could find a United States immigration lawyer who could help with that. Dean Bradley, if if I decided to go to law school, I know there have been lots of changes on college tests, entrance tests. What are What tests would I need to take to get ready? Well, so the main test that applicants take um, for entrance to law school is called the LSAT. It's the law school admissions test. Um, Pre-pandemic, you would have to go to a testing center on a specific date and take the test in the room with um, all the other test takers. That is something that's changed um, in the last couple of years. So that that test is now administered remotely. Um, and I don't see that, that going back. Um, and of course, there have been some hiccups with that, with, you know, in all things technology, there's some um, things to work out, but it, it is is running smoothly now. So the the LSAT is administered remotely. It is only on specific dates. So you have to register in advance and about a month in advance, but it's offered um, nine times a year. Um, So the LSAT is the main um, 
entrance exam. Some law schools also take the GRE, which is um, the test that's typically, you know, that people typically take to go to graduate school. Um, we have not started doing that yet, um, but, but some schools do. And along with that, so what else would somebody's application have besides their LSAT score? So they, you know, they get their LSAT score, and what else? You know, you work with uh, an admissions committee that in, involves faculty members, and um, and y'all are the ones who make the decisions ultimately. So, what are you looking at besides the LSAT score? So we're looking. So we're looking at that score. We're also looking at the um, the undergraduate GPA, the undergraduate grade point average, how that student um, performed in in school. Um, we look at letters of recommendation that the applicant sends to us as part of their application. Um, we all there are also essays and you know the application itself. Um, and and what the way that we sort of characterize um, the review, it, it's a holistic approach. So we are looking at all of those different components, um, sort of in the in the greater context of the whole application, and trying to determine um, from all of those things whether this person is ready um, to take on a, a pretty rigorous course of study. Um, and there are lots of different things in a person's background that can tell us that outside of, you know, a score from a test taken on one day. Um, and like you said, Richard, we, you know, we have multiple people review each application. It is read um, by, by several people on a committee um, and looking at all of those different components. And what I always like to tell applicants is, um, you know, we're really looking at ways to bring you in, um, not to keep you out. Um, so we are looking at the whole trying to look at the whole person um, to determine whether they're ready um, for this next step. One thing, you know, when I was going to law school, uh, they would say, when you got into the class, they'd say, look to your left, look to your right, one of you won't be here at the end. Um, we don't do that anymore. And I, I remember when I was dean, I used to tell the class, look to your left, look to your right. These are the people you're going to be practicing law with. Don't be a jerk, because if you're a jerk in law school, they'll remember that, and, and they won't want to practice you in practice. Um, but, you know, so it's just a whole different idea. So when you say you, you want them here, we also want people who are going to succeed, and, and y'all have done a great job. I have, a, I have a question about that, Richard. Uh, it also it uh, dovetails with a question one of our callers couldn't stay on the line. Law school is not cheap. Um, you, you know, we we want our lawyers to be you know representative of our of our population. I know with in-state schools there are a lot of and undergraduate schools there are a lot of scholarship opportunities available. Are there many scholarship opportunities available for graduate school for law school, Dean Bradley? There are. Um, that's something that, that has really shifted, you know, I, I would say in the last 10 years um, that that, that um, 
priority was put on raising money for scholarships to help students with the financial burden of a graduate degree because it it is um, it is not cheap and it is that is definitely one of the considerations that I talk to students about when I'm counseling them about just being aware of you know the amount of money you're borrowing and and what that means on the back end, <laughs> you know, how that could limit what you do after you graduate. So, um, so, but, but yes, there are a lot of, of scholarship opportunities available. Um, and, and when we admit students, we consider them for all of those opportunities with their application. So you don't have to apply separately for scholarships. You know, we are, uh, by the way, always, and this is kind of, a, I, I know this show is not really a promotion for the University of Mississippi School of Law, but I have to say that we're always in the top um, best value law schools in the country um, because our tuition is, is really relatively low compared to the rest of the, rest of the uh, law schools in the country. And I've always been happy about that because trying to add affordability because it really does come back to return on investment. I mean, somebody invests in law school and, and then if they're, if they're really in debt, that limits the kind of jobs they can take to pay back that debt. So yeah. And the amount of time that they're doing that. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, here's a kind of a different question. Can I be admitted to law school if I've ever been arrested? Yes. Um, yes, you can. That is something that will come up in your application to law school. Um, there is a, a, a section of the application where you have to disclose things like, you know, if you've, if you've been arrested, if you've been cited, if you've been charged, really, if you've you know, if you've had speeding tickets, you have to disclose them. And the reason for that is because um, when you do apply to take the bar exam in whatever state you decide to take it, um, they ask you those same questions and do um, a pretty in-depth background check um, just to um you know, to determine your fit character and fitness to be a member of the bar. And um, so you do have to disclose that history. Um, however, there are many things, you know, there are many instances that I can think of um, just you know, in the last couple of years where an applicant had something like this that they had to disclose um, and overcame it and um, and are doing wonderfully in law school now. Um, so the answer is yes. I will also say that if it's um, that that's always a situation where I encourage applicants to reach out to my office um, to sort of just talk through the way to approach that in the application um, and to have, you know, just a conversation about um, how it may affect the application. So I always welcome those conversations. Email us your questions. The address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're talking with Dean Bett Bradley from the University of Mississippi School of Law about attending law. But once you're finished, what can you do with a law degree? I'll give you some suggestions next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. 
Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing a doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill, and we do hope you'll subscribe to our podcast, or you can find MPB Think Radio recordings on mpbonline.org slash radios. Listen to this is just a partial list of different sectors of our economy that lawyers work in. Banking, data security and privacy, energy, environmental policy, human rights and civil rights, immigration, media companies, sports, charities, and nonprofits. The list is just endless on what you might could do with a law degree. And this morning we are talking about attending law school with our guest, Dean Bett Bradley from the University of Mississippi School of Law. So. That, you know, sometimes we have people who come to law school experience, as we talked about, in various different jobs and some of the sectors that Liz just mentioned, you know, maybe in finance or something, they come from being in banking for a while. And they, they may ask, can their work experience, say they've worked 20 years in banking, can that count towards their law degree? So it doesn't count towards their law degree. Um, I would say that it does count towards our review of their application. Um, so, you know, we were talking a little bit about the, the holistic file review, um, you know, when I am looking at an application from an undergraduate student who's come straight through, um, I'm going to be, you know, maybe more focused on leadership, you know, while in undergrad or involvement or extracurricular things or um, internships, um, anything like that. Whereas, you know, if I'm looking at someone who's had this professional career in an industry and now they want to continue on in that industry or maybe not with a law degree, you know, that tells me something very different about this person, um, just as valuable, you know, like we said earlier, we want all different um, types of students in each class. So um, while it doesn't, you know, count towards any of the the 90 hours you have to earn in law school, it definitely um, is a part of the review of the application. So, and, and one of those uh, reasons we can't even, I don't even think we can accept that <laughs> work credit because the uh, organization that accredits law schools probably would frown on that. So what is that organization? So um, the American Bar Association accredits law schools um, and has um, many, many standards and rules and guidance um, that they provide to us and, and that um, that our, uh, you know, way of legal education in this country falls under. So um, that's the, the agency that accredits us. And I think right now there are just shy of 200 law schools in the country that are, are ABA accredited. It's an arduous process to become an accredited law school and to maintain accreditation. Now we will be reviewed every 10 years at Ole Miss, but uh, 
before it was every seven years and it's uh, you know there's a lot of work that goes into getting ready for those visits and and so and and i think probably if people were to ask why do we have accreditation it's simple it's consumer protections to make sure those students who are paying so much money are getting value out of, uh, of what they what they're paying for so and that um, we're teaching teaching them what they they need to know to pass the bar and practice law well was there a i think i can say devry now because devry isn't around anymore was there a devry school of law or something like that well you know i've been are there unaccredited law schools in California and in Tennessee, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in fact, um, there's a law school in Nashville that is unaccredited, um, and uh, but Tennessee, you could take the Tennessee bar if you go to that law school. And the same goes with, I think there are probably three or four in California um, that are not ABA accredited, but that that you can take the California bar. So what, what are the advantages now of attending an accredited law school? So, I mean, like you said, that consumer protection piece, you know, you know that you are attending a school that is meeting certain standards um, and reporting on all kinds of things um, every year to an accrediting body. Um, you also, if you if you go to an ABA accredited law school, you can take the bar exam anywhere. Um, so many of our students, you know, take the Mississippi bar after they finish law school in three years, and many take it take the bar exam in other states. Um, and you can do that. Um, you know, if, if you attend any ABA accredited law school. So the ABA uses all kinds of information in that consumer protection stance, and and, and it, it uh, about job placement rates, bar passage rates, cost of attendance, admission practices. Um, can I find that information about uh, a law school I'm interested in, or or the University of Mississippi School of Law? Absolutely. So, and this is something that I really encourage. Like it's it's kind of a a good first go-to when you are researching law schools um, and doing your due diligence. So though those um, disclosures um, about bar passage and employment outcomes and admissions policies and, you know, I think, you know, student to faculty ratios, things like that. Um, are all required to be published by by each law school. So um, what you would want to do is look, it's called a 509 report. And that is just because that's the standard, that's the ABA standard that requires us to provide this information. So if you um, look up the law school's 509 report, you can get a lot of those um those really good facts about how the law school is doing across many different um, metrics. And I will try to have a link to that on the show information for this show. Whenever we talk about something on in legal terms, I really do try to have that information in the show notes. So, okay. And I can definitely send you the link, Liz. Fantastic. Yes, no problem. We're talking about law school today. We would love for you to join us. Our phone number is 1-877-MPB-RING. 
I have a question. Uh, Professor Gershon is from, I'm using air quote fingers here, from the University of Mississippi School of Law, but with the pandemic, tam- pandemic everything just went up topsy-turvy. I know my nephew was in law school at the University of Texas at Austin, but he finished up in his mama's bedroom in <laughs> Norfolk, Virginia. How the, you know, everything went online during the pandemic. Has that, is that the wave of the future? Uh, do we have any online law schools right now? And do we see that happening in the next five, 10 years, Dean Bradley? So this past September, the ABA accredited the first fully online JD program at a school in Texas called St. Mary's. Um, And, you know, I think they admitted a really small cohort of students um, for this this initial year. Previously, the ABA had a lot, there was, you know, standard about how much of a student's legal education could be delivered online. Um, We definitely saw that standard loosen during the pandemic. Um, And I do think that we will continue to see more and more programs. There are a handful of programs, probably I don't know, 10 to 12 that that offer what we call like a hybrid program. So they all look a little bit differently, but includes a lot of online education and then maybe meeting, you know, for eight intensive weekends a year or during the summer. Um, they all kind of have a different structure, um, but there is, you know, a lot of online learning and then some in person. Um, and I do, I do think that, um, that the pandemic probably accelerated that. What do you, what do you think, Richard? Do you think? Absolutely. I have found, I know my upper level students, my third year students would like to be able to work and, and take classes and they can do that better by being online. And in fact, uh, at the end of this month, I'll start teaching my online, fully online summer classes that I've taught for several years now, pre-pandemic even, um, because students want to be able to work in the summer wherever they live. Um, and we have students, as Beth said, from many states. And, um, and, and still take classes. And so by, by having a remote option, it gives them that ability. So I do think we're gonna see um, more of it, but used appropriately, you know, to kind of help the students in, uh, where they are and, and give them the best possible education. We can take your questions on our email address. That web that email address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Have we answered all your questions? If not, I have a suggestion for you next. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
Hey, this is Malcolm White. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Every week we talk with visual artists, musicians, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcast app. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you have missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on the MPB Public Radio YouTube channel. Like the show, subscribe, ring the bell to be notified of new episodes. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, is most of our local shows. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. At 11 a.m. Central on Tuesdays, following our over-the-air broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. Our guest today is Dean Bett Bradley from the University of Mississippi School of Law. We, we're available to answer your law school questions, but if you can't get in touch with us today, consider listening to our previous podcast when we discussed law schools. I'll have the link to that show's podcast in this show's information. We do have a call. Let's go to Jackson and talk with Brad. Brad, we're glad you called in to In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? Hi, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you for taking my call. I had a, a question. I, I've been out of law school for a quarter of a century now, uh, as hard as that is to believe. But uh, I, I've, I've read studies about law schools, uh, and there, there, there seems to be a, uh, a bias, a political bias, biases to to the to the left of center specifically, and and to, to the Democrat Party, and I wonder if, if the deans uh, or anyone would like to comment on whether that's, has that, has that gotten better, or is it still the same, or do you have an opinion on that? I'm just curious as to what your thoughts are about that. Brad, I can only talk about my classes. I know Will's in the States. I mean, it's really hard to have a, a political bias of Will's in the States and legal profession and federal income tax. I suppose I could talk policy and things like that. But, I mean, it's about critical thinking. I mean, the students have to think for themselves and come to their own conclusions. And, I mean, we certainly don't go into the classroom with a particular agenda to try to do any indoctrination. I mean, the law is something that they have to learn and, and study. So that would be my I thought of that. I don't know if... Yeah, I guess my thought of it would just kind of be from the the student body side because, you know, some of that comes into the application and also just, you know, in the law school community. Um, there are student organizations, student interests um, that, that cross over into politics. And I would say we have a really... Um, pretty even um, balanced student body. Um, definitely, like like Richard was saying, um, are teaching critical thinking and problem solving. And a part of that is having difficult discussions and um, learning how to talk to each other and listen to each other. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah. 
Well, I, I think, think in Mississippi, a lot of our elected officials have law degrees, and it's a clear distinction that every, most all of our elected <laughs> officials are Republicans. So I don't know if they start off Republicans in law schools or not, or that's just how it happens. That's a very interesting question, Brad. I'm glad you added that to our conversation today. Back to Dean Bradley, speaking about some of the options at the University of Mississippi's School of Laws, uh, everybody's got their special something. What are some of the special somethings at Old Mrs. Law School? There, oh, wow. Um, there are so many. Um, I think, you know... For me, a couple of things. I think we have um, just a really supportive community. So um, Richard was talking earlier about the look to your left, look to your right, someone's not going to be here. Um, and, and that has shifted across the board in legal education. Um, but there are places where um, the competition is a little more fierce or just, or, the, or that's the, just kind of the vibe. And, and that's not the case here. We are really a, um, a supportive, small, close-knit community, um, and that that's, you know, from the faculty to the staff to the students, everyone. Um, so that's one. And then I think also, you know, just the opportunities that, that our students are able to take advantage of through a variety of different um, ways. So, you know, co-curricular programs like trial advocacy, you know, traveling around the country to go with your team to do a mock trial. Um, we have wonderful clinics at the law school where students get to work under the supervision of their professor and serve Mississippians who need like legal representation. So just a lot of different ways to um, apply what you're learning to um the, the practical skills um, that lawyers need when they come out of law school. Um, one of the, the special admissions programs that we have, um, you know, we talked at the beginning about whether you need an undergrad degree um, to come to law school or not. And, and in, in one case, um, you don't. We have what's called an accelerated law program, and it's a partnership with many of the undergraduate departments at the University of Mississippi where, you know, for instance, a political science student um, can take, or maybe I won't do political science, <laughs> uh, I'll do engineering. An engineering student can, um, you know, finish their three years of major requirements in engineering, and instead of doing 30 hours worth of electives, they come to law school after just three years, and their first year of law school um, counts toward the completion of their undergraduate degree. So it can save you some time and money. Um, it does take some 
some planning, you know, finishing an engineering degree in three years is not easy, <laughs> um, but it, it, it does save a year. Um, and so for students who know that they want to be in law school, um, it's a great program. And, and that's one that we've seen grow a lot in the last few years. And we had our first three plus three graduate graduate uh, yes. last week. I know. Yes, she did. Yes. And it's not only the, the university's programs. I also understand it's for Tougaloo students. Yes, we do have the, yes. Um, and I'm working, um, yes, working on another one. So, so yes. And of course, we have our space law program, which is a totally separate thing, which is the LLM program. And they've, they have been on our show before, too. And oh, so, good. Yeah. Let's yes. talk about... Yeah, here in space. <laughs> so when so, I when I uh, ditch MPB and decide to go to law school, when I graduate, am I going to be a lawyer? You are going to be so close to being a lawyer. You are going to have finished the most challenging and rewarding three years of your life. Um, and then you are going to have to take the bar exam. So, um celebrate graduation and then our students really buckle down for about two months and um and study a whole lot for the bar exam um which is offered in july and february so there are two different times um that students are taking that bar exam which um which gives them their license to practice Dean Bitt Bradley, thank you so much for being on our show. We're so glad that we've had you to answer questions, but then it'll be a resource for anyone who couldn't join us. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you all. This has been great. That's going to wrap us up for today's In Legal Terms. We thank Java Chapman, Michelle McAdoo, and Jay White for helping us put on our show, and Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts sort of from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill, but we want you to join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.